Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Men's Mental National Health Show. Radio I'm uh, Bradley, Brad's Spillow Spillane, and first of all, life of at least Boat, one good morning. How are you? How's your recovery been since COVID, COVID three weeks ago, four weeks ago? Yeah, yeah, no, nah, ratchet. I'm still, I'm still babbling, you know, and uh, um, can't quite get over that I got the damn thing. Um, and um, but, but, you know, lingering sort of kind of fatigue and all that sort of stuff, and... I lost my optimism. It's got something to do with COVID, but it's probably got... I can't remember things, you know what I mean? There's inflammation of the brain, so if I actually sort of drift off into some inexplicable sort of direction, That's just, no, happen. it's a COVID thing, you know, right? Sort of cover for <laughs> me. But, um, you got to back um, up. Look, I... Ukraine really screwed me. Um, so that's been really interesting, just the whole collapse of my optimism as a result of, um, you know, war, again, beating the drums. And um, it's taken some time to recover from that. So I've been in, yeah. letting a lot of people know in my network and uh, getting some lovely feedback, which is mm. actually restor- mm. it's restorative. So, um, you know, I can't say I'm top of the world, there's not nearly a worry in my mind, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm engaging. Mm. Ordinary mm. acts of human kindness really picked me up. Wow. Yeah? yeah, ordinary acts of human kindness. Yeah. The story of that woman that abseiled to save the baby and the two wo- mum and dad who were trapped in the, in the, in the mud up to their armpits oh, um, yes. in uh, Lismore yes. um, is an act of ordinary... It's, the, it's an extraordinary the act of ordinary coverage. You, know, yeah. you can imagine that despair the yeah, parents would have been feeling. Mum and dad feeling. and their babies immediately and they can't, away from them. They can't get they to can't it. They can't get to it. Yeah. You know, devastating. Yeah, no. So that that's uplifting. You know yeah, what I mean? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and welcome today to to our uh, our guest, um, who uh, I've been really looking forward to having you on, Anthony, through the week, and um, we'll get to hear a bit about yourself. Uh, but Anthony's a, a former police officer with the New South Wales Police Force. Um, he's also an author, and um, like so many of us, uh, he carries his own demons and. Um, today he's here to share some of those uh, demons and uh, to open himself up, make himself vulnerable and uh, show us what it's like to be a real man. Anthony, good morning. Good morning, mate. How are you? I'm Thank well, you mate. for the introduction. <laughs> That's all right. It has things. Yeah, I'm, I'm well, mate. I'm well. It's um, important to note, like, like the Chief, he's got a, a North Sydney Bears jersey on too, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, <laughs> I, I thought I'd wear it in honour for, for the North Sydney Bears boys, but... Uh, and then Simsy, uh, he's not here, but uh, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, I'm a huge, well, I was a huge rugby league fan. I'm, I'm doing two new books on the rugby league, 25 years of the NRL and yeah. Brothers on the Field, Indigenous Australians in Rugby League. So I'm doing those books too and wow. uh, just finished two books. But, you know, hey, uh, I, I need to do these things and I'll tell you why a little later, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so tell us a bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? Where, where, where are you from originally? You have mountains boy, or no, no, no. I, I grew up in North Sydney. Okay. Forty-eight Thomas Street, North Sydney. I grew up. I know um, Thomas Street. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a, a boys' own adventure life down there. You know, uh, of course, I'm a North Sydney Bears fan because of that. Mm. Um, you know, the world was my oyster back growing up in North Sydney back then because it was in the '60s and then mm. you know the '70s, mm. and uh, it was a great era to not only live oh, yeah. and be alive but you know i lived opposite my grandparents and then i had wally's wow. wally sutton who lived oh, really? next to him and then oh, wow. uh maca bury lived next to grandpa as well and that was brian bury's um father right. and right. um the the old uh weatherman weatherman you remember? Yeah, yeah of course yeah but back then you know, yeah. the, the biggest thing i felt found um growing up in the 60s and 70s was the community support of each other yeah 
you know, um, people were different back then. That's the biggest thing that I've realised today. You yeah. know, everyone helped each other. In fact, I remember the moon landings back well, when that's I was four years old. That, yeah. yeah, I think it was in the early evening. Yeah. Grandpa yeah. was the only one with a, a, a television. Right. So yeah. the whole community, <laughs> well, all the Tottenham Street crowded around the, 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 the screen to yeah. watch the moon landings. That's one thing I remember. For wow. a, because of age of three and four, you're starting to get a, a, a good memory of things, you yeah, know. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and then, well, yeah, yeah, so I had a fantastic life growing up in North Sydney. We were very poor. Yeah. I'll be honest about that. You know, there was yeah. times where it was very, very tough. Yeah. Uh, and our grandparents got it through. Mum and Dad both worked, but you know, back then, Mum and Dad were two packet a day smokers, and yeah. Mum worked at the Marta Hospital as an emergency nurse. Right. At, and then dad was a plumber for the dmr or the pmg first off then the dmr um and then uh, of course uh like like my love of rugby league of course came from that and uh we'd walk up watch the bears play and yeah yeah it's terrific you know and uh, they always looked like mountain men as they actually ran out of that yeah out of the coming out out of the the, up the stairs and the field it looks like it was like they were and such a great great venue because you know back in the day i used to go there as well you know And, and, and sit in the trees in the you know mm. around the ground and you could mm. watch it. It was fantastic. It's a great venue, the best yeah. best oval. It was. It was a terrific place. Then of course I grew up in. Um, uh, we moved and then went to Eastwood. Yeah. So we went to Eastwood and uh, yeah. So I went to Marsden High and uh, then I began became interested in speedway and motor racing and became uh, you know photography. I started doing photography and all that sort of stuff. Okay. And yeah, yeah, progressed from there. I had a lot of different jobs growing up. Um, some very good jobs, some very shitty jobs, to be honest. So it's a We've got to go. Sorry, Mike. We've got to go. Yeah, we've got to go. So, no. Sorry, listeners, we've just had the fire alarm go off. So I'm just going to switch it back to community uh, radio and then we'll come back and join us. It's probably just a drill, but um, it's uh, part of the procedure. We've got to get out of here. So we'll be back shortly on the Men's Mental Health Show. Welcome back, uh, everyone, after the uh, fire alarm has gone off here at RBM. Um, and uh, we found out after the fire brigades turned up that it's a f- uh, false alarm, which is great news. So we're able to continue on after telling some some stories out in the car park. And we're here today, of course, uh, uh, joined uh, by my co-host, uh, Bodie Marsden, psychotherapist. Bodie's located at Wentworth Falls. You can get hold of Bodie on 0424. Four one six nine six nine. Our guest today is Anthony Loxley, who was a former police officer of the New South Wales Police Force, and we were just talking about um, your upbringing. and And Bodie was talking uh, from where Anthony was coming from about the connection um, of community and 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 family and love throughout your neighbourhood, and that's the neighbourhoods that I remember growing up at, at Collins Street at Narrabeen. Um, behind the caravan park and playing cricket with, and you'd have some, you know, fisty cuffs with the boy up the road, and the mum, their mum, and our, my mum would turn up, and we'd have to shake hands, and you know that would be a pretty tough sort of a moment. And uh, all the fights I was in, I didn't win any of them. You know, I was hopeless. But uh, yeah, and that's a that's a that's a big loss to sort of see today that you know that connection is not so much there anymore throughout you know community and neighbourhoods. Isn't that right? Look, um, Johan Hari wrote a book called Lost Connections 
Have you read it, Tony? Oh no, no, mate. Yeah, too yeah. busy writing my own. Too busy own. writing your own. But um, you know, he was—he's a journalist. Um, a, a long um, expedition with uh, depression, um, and continually sort of trying different drugs and inc- having to keep increasing them in order to actually sort of feel uh, feel okay. Um, and he, be- he began discouraged by um, you know depression or medication as the only sort of solution to depression. So he began to look at so how how are we living? You know what what is the context of our lives? Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually began to explore the idea of connection. Mm-hmm. Have we lost essentially connection with each other? Um, so we're all individuals um, mm-hmm. trying to do our own thing, and that basically we're alienated. Um, and out of alienation comes depression. So it's mm-hmm. a contextual problem as well as a um, interpersonal problem. If you have no connections with others um, and you're on your own, you're you're prey to depression and anxiety. So that that was his book. The premise is yeah. we've got to regather and refine connection. And, you know. M- mobile phones or you know uh, with internets and screens and and you know gaming and all that stuff doesn't help our kids does it you know it certainly doesn't do any good for, for what you're saying yeah well, well i think it's increasingly supporting that idea that um we're all individuals uh, and we're all responsible on the basis of our individual actions um and that puts a terrible pressure on trying to get something right and i mm. think that therefore um you know uh, we get caught up in all sorts of complications mm. and contradictions mm. including searching for perfection um, you know that idea of, of uh, I can survive by being perfect and mm. that puts a person under enormous amount of pressure as well yeah. in terms of performance so mm. um, you know, it's a bleak type of existence mm. whereas I think when we're connected mm. it's happened again boys it's that we've just had the alarm go off again and um, I, I feel absolutely horrible for for you anthony it's never ever happened in in the three and a half years i've been doing this i've got a theory why it's happening (laughs) (laughs) believe me i've got a theory why it's happening well well, uh, let me tell you something um you think that's bad when you're on the streets and you get double beepers left right and center when you're on patrol on that you're going to job to job to job that's what it feels like in your mind. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that, Coming that to that. Well, alarms well, going off are like yeah. yeah. Well, let's move into that. So, yeah. how old were you? What what was the decision or the influence behind you joining the the police? Uh, I I had done a lot of jobs. I had done a lot of jobs and um, I had uh, all sorts of experiences. I'd been a magazine editor. I'd, I'd worked at Channel 10 mm. when it was at North Ride for some time. Mm. I enjoyed that. I was a, a photographer. Mm. Uh, I'd worked for Phil Rothfield and The Telegraph. Oh, yeah. And I'd worked yeah. for the, the Murdoch local newspapers. And right. uh, I even worked at a, uh, an indelible ink uh, wow. so that's place once yeah. for, uh, for ink for, for, for meat. Mm. Um, I'd done so many different jobs, but it was always in my mind to be a police officer. It's something I'd always wanted to do. Right. Uh, I remember as a young bloke seeing uh, Don McKinnon as yes. a uh, as a copper, and mm. I Don of course played for North at the yeah. time, and um, it was probably I was around about sixteen when I saw him on duty, and I used to, um, you know, I just think oh, I, I want to be a cop. Mm. Um, so all those life experiences that I had, and I'd run pums. In fact, I'd worked here at the Carrington mm. at, at uh, mm. the piano. It was then known as a piano bar, and yeah. I worked at the Gearins. And <laughs> I mean, they, the were, the they were the Gearins. Hey, the Star Wars bar. 
<laughs> Mate, they were fairly, <laughs> fairly, <laughs> fairly brutal places in the late 90s. Um, yeah, oh, Jack Thompson, I, yeah. Because I, I, I applied for the, the cops in 2000. Right. And um, I was accepted. I, had to, I hadn't been to school for so long. You know, it was quite mm. alien to me having to do a university and mm. having to do pre-entrance exams. And law and, and yeah, everything, and, yeah. yeah. And, and it was difficult, you know, because... Uh, but I was, I was running up and down Katoomba Street right. to get fit. Right. As, as you imagine, you know, like I, I was 34, I think, at the time. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, well, it's midlife now, you know, yeah. well, sort of midlife. And you know, um, yeah. I knew I'd be up against kids out of school and yeah. university students. And, but the advert that I actually uh, answered at the time with the New South Wales Police, which I still believe they should be doing, is they wanted people with good communication skills and life experience. <laughs> For me, that's the most... You don't get too much of that when you're 18, do you? No, <laughs> you don't. And, and you're going to domestics as soon as you get out of the academy yeah, and you're yeah, going to yeah. be telling people who are four times your age... How to, how to behave. How to live, yeah. yeah. I think before you join the cops, you should have life experience. So what uh, you're saying is you've, before, you, before you become the sergeant, you've got to get the stripes on your sleeve first. Yeah, well, I saw some bloody... <laughs> eye curling stuff there too people getting jobs that they should never have had and and failing miserably you know and i i never, I never wanted to be a senior officer i never wanted to be a, a sergeant or anything mm. I, I loved mm. the streets to me that was mm. the thrill mm. but um, mm. yeah the what look what i found is that it did help i mm. think because a lot of guys my age or older actually joined up and mm. We all got along very, very well. The camaraderie between us mm. at the academy, being older guys, mm. was completely different to the young kids that had just come out of school, you know? Mm -hmm. We could converse with each other about all different subjects. <clears throat> we helped each other a lot more when it came mm. to the, 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 the work that we had to do, learning mm. the law and train together. You know, we'd all go out in groups and train mm. together and... Mm. Um, it, it made a huge difference, yeah. you know, and, and they'd push you through. And, and for your confidence too, which is a massive thing. Absolutely, yeah. you know, and, uh, but I, I, look, I'd had all this life experience and when I saw this advert, I said, that's me, now's okay. the time, mm. now's well. the time to do it. So I made, I, I made that push, I was living at Katoomba at the time with my girlfriend at the time, and uh, I said to myself, yeah, look, I, I can do this now, I can do this now. Right. And, you know, I'd played football, I'd... I'd done a lot of things. I'd written books and yeah, I'd, um, journalism, <coughs> and journalism, yeah, and yeah. I, I'd done a lot of things in my yeah. life. And um, I thought, yeah, now's the time. Mm. But <laughs> I got to tell you, it's a whole new world joining the cops. Mm. I, look, I know a lot of blokes out of the military, and mm. I know guys who are cops who were military prior. Mm. Nothing compares to the cops. Mm. Nothing. There is nothing in this world no. <coughs> that can compete mm. against what you are up against on a daily, mm. regular basis. Just to, to go from, I had a, an officer in here with, with a mate of mine, Matt, who was also a former cop. He was, you know, he went to a house fire and he tried to get in to, to get this three-year-old girl. He still sees her in, a, his, in his sleep, in his nightmares, mm. you know, and he went there two hours. At the, he came in, burnt hands. Um, they, they put some water on him and it, this guy just feels he's responsible for this three-year-old girl. It's, it, it, it stuffed his whole life up. And then an hour later, he's sent off to a domestic. Mm. Oh, no debrief, nothing. No, no. It's and I'm not having a go at the cops about no. that, but that guy, is, and, I'm, and I'm talking to someone here and yourself, Anthony, yeah. where it's the same. You've gone to situations where you're like, what the? 
have I just dealt with? And hang on. And you sort of think, oh, I need to yeah. debrief it. I need to just suck it in. And, and I'm straight off into another job. And mm. now that worries me. That concerns me. Look, first of all, let's go backwards a bit. Yeah. We were talking earlier about community, yeah. about mm -hmm. self-worth, <laughs> about supporting each other. You know, in the era that I grew up in, in the 60s and 70s, and of course early 80s too, by the time I was a teenager and I was at high school, the world was a different place. We didn't have the mobile phones. We didn't have computers even. We didn't have mobile phones. Yeah. You know, we, we, we had a world that was completely innocent in regards to communication. You wanted to talk to your girlfriend, you made the phone call with the old, yeah, with the old phone. If you wanted to really woo her, you would write a letter to her. Yeah. You know, I, I remember sending letters to um, my girlfriends, writing them and sending them to their house. You know, I, I, it was a different world back then. It was a much more innocent world. And, and I think that we, uh, we miss that today. Mm -hmm, mm. Now, what I found in the cops was that the older guys, as I was saying before, we would have a lot more in common. Mm. Younger people, not so much, you know. Um, I, I just think that the world has changed so radically that even policing has changed radically mm -hmm. too, you know. Mm -hmm. Look, I, I remember talking about the mobile phones. I remember as going out on patrol and some of the junior police, and I'm not going to be sexist here, but a couple of young female officers I worked with mm. out of the academy on their phones on patrol. Mm. Wow. And at the time, I was a, um, a teaching cop, and, uh, you know, but I still take them out on patrol. Um, I just love the streets, you know, mm -hmm. that to me mm. was the excitement factor, you know, mm. being a cop, you know, to lock up the crooks, that's why I mm. joined. So you're working alongside these two girls? And, or well, just yeah. one particular, well, let's just, yeah. <laughs> look, mm. we all did it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and when, there's times when you see a copper on the phone on yeah. his mobile, yeah. well, he's not doing the wrong thing, he's actually using the mobile to yeah. contact yeah, the he's police got, yeah, well, at the station yeah. and that, mm. because a lot of the times you... If it's a busy command, well, it's very mm. difficult to get on the radio anyway sometimes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, th there's dispensation for that. Mm. But mm. when you have police officers on the mobile going through Facebook and stuff yeah. like that, yeah. and, and I'm not being critical to anybody in particular, but mm. that is how our world has changed. Yeah. yeah. You know, the simple things in life mm. um, are no longer what we used mm. to enjoy, you know. It's so you're not... In those moments, I guess, is what you're saying is there's an opportunity there for these young people to let's have a chat, let's let's get involved. You know, this is a situation. This is how I'd like to prepare. Mm. Don't forget, if we're coming out of this domestic, um, you know, you're going to be sworn at, spat on, kicked. Just know very that important. We're, we're so all of this stuff is an opportunity that you could have taken whilst on the way to the job, and that's been lost. Yeah, things look, like that. Yeah, again, it's a, look, and I, I don't blame those people in no. particular. I think it's just the way the world is now. Yeah, yeah. We live in a different world, completely mm. different world. The world I came from was a lot more innocent. Mm. Um, but we've all been amalgamated now to this modern way of living, you know, with the mobile phones and everything is just a touch away. Mm. Um, the difference with policing is it's still a very, very hands-on occupation. Mm. Regardless, you can have all the technology you want, when you go to a domestic, mm. it's a whole new world. You, yeah. Nothing changes. You're out of that mm. car. You, well, you, you call off. Mm. You take your partner with you. You go and you assess the mm. situation. Always assess the situation. Mm. Um, you, you 
you've got to know what you're getting into. And, mm. and believe me, uh, your communication skills at something, say a domestic or mm. dealing with mm. someone on the streets who may be, mm. you know, a little uh, mouthy or something like that, your communication skills get you out of trouble the majority mm. of the time. Well, that's and interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Well, a lot of people mm. don't have that skill anymore. You know, you've, you've mm. got to be able to mm. assess a situation and use your voice first. Mm. That's your best weapon. It always has been. Mm. And that's one of the great things I found that the big differences in today's society to what used to exist when sure. I was a young guy. You know, sure. everyone could communicate with each other in mm. general, you know. Mm. Everyone helped each other. Mm. I remember mum and dad at one stage didn't have much money at the time and food was a bit scarce, you know, and I remember I was the oldest of five. And the neighbours would come over with food mm-hmm. or offer to help. You know, it was just a different world we live in. Mm -hmm. Australia is still a wonderful country in that regard. I mean, Mm -hmm. we still get up and we still help each other out, which Mm -hmm. is a wonderful thing, particularly, you know, from the floods and and the bushfires, Mm -hmm. particularly the community up here in the Blue Mountains is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, But life in general has changed so much, mate. It has. It really has. So what I want to, I guess, if if we sort of move into is... Um, after how long was your career? Was seventeen years or seventeen years? Seven, yeah. yeah. Let's say let's say fifteen long hard years mm. on the on mm. on the front line. On the front line. Yeah, mm. yeah. I worked uh, up here in the Blue mm. Mountains to start. Um, probably not my best move. Right. Uh, I should never have come up here to work. Not in a million years. Um, oh, just because of the the, the it, a, it's I more lived intimate up, here. up, isn't it? You know. <laughs> yeah, I lived up here, and I used to get people spray painting my name on the back of buildings, and you know where oh. I lived at Yellow Rock, they would. Yeah, they yeah, didn't yeah. like me locking them up up yeah, here. Yeah. And uh, but that was my job, and I wasn't going to let anyone get away with you know being yeah. disrespectful to a police officer or anybody mm. in the mm. community, as a matter of fact. Mm. And I used to go and patrol a lot on my own because mm. you know it was. Not a lot of police up here, unfortunately, mm. and uh, <coughs> uh, we do need uh, good to see some more police up here. It certainly helps situations in in general uh, up here to have more police. But mm. um, during those fifteen years, yeah. Tony, was there w- w- were you beginning to question your um, initial your, your continuation of of, pli- of policing or police work? No, no. I I got to tell you, uh, and, and I'll be honest, um, I did when I was working up here. Mm. I did, mm. because mm. I think I was too close to home. Mm. Okay. I knew too many people. Yeah. Mm. Because I'd actually worked at the Carrington and other places here mm. prior mm. to joining the police, I'd worked you know, just to, to fill in time, basically, until yeah. I joined the police. It wasn't a good scenario going out on patrol and sometimes having to lock up people that you knew quite well. You know, mm. It was just mm. the way it is. Yeah. Um, that was my bad move. And it's a bit quiet up here too. You know, and I, I, I didn't feel that I was going to learn that much uh, and it mm. was better to go to a busier station where, you know, you really... Mm. You really <laughs> you're, are on the hard you're on a hard, yeah, you're, you're on a hard road, yeah. yeah. So that's what I wanted to do. And eventually I got some good information from a good inspector who's no longer in the job, and he's a good bloke. And uh, um, I, I made my move, yeah, and got out down to Parramatta and, you know... Oh, there's a, there's a place to work. Yeah. yeah. But, I look, you say that, mate, and... and but I was, even towards the end of my career, when I had my uniform on, I'd still look at that patch on my shoulder mm. and say how, I can't believe I'm a cop. I'm so yeah. proud. Mm. I'm proud. Mm. My mm. kids were proud of me, you mm. know? Mm. Um, it's a, yeah. yeah it's a, I never questioned it. Well, well, so well to, me, yeah. to me, it's that vocation, isn't it? That, uh, you know, maybe in our world now, uh, we don't actually believe that 
about the work that we do or, or um, treat it as a vocation. So we give it the dignity and the importance in our right. own mind, mm. which then actually changes the way you do the work. And yeah. I think there's a more honest uh, um, engagement. So you're not doing it for status or you're not doing it um, because it pays well. You're doing it because it really matters and it makes yeah. a difference in your if community. You your pride, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's, no, that's what I'm picking up from you. Yeah, yeah so I, I, I'd, I'd subscribe to that 100%. The, the issues come, believe me, later in your career. I had some, don't get me wrong, I had some terrible incidents up here. I was, mm. I was spat on by an offender with HIV. Mm. I, um, I was soaked in hep C blood in the back of an ambulance <coughs> with an offender who was cleavered with a machete. Um, right. I, I went to some disgusting suicides unfortunately mm, that, that really horrible. really pushed uh, you know particularly out in the bush and that um you know uh suicides are always so tragic but that's another story we'll get yeah. to um i you know car accidents and things like yeah. that for the most part though uh it it wasn't as heavy as um uh down in sydney but the difference is of course that you don't have the backup here that you have down in sydney yeah. i, I you know, there's quite some some hair-raising moments. You know, mm. <coughs> where we were surrounded by offenders and that uh, down here in the mountains, and we had to call urgent, urgent. You know, mm. like signal one, basically. Signal one, yeah. And um, so, look, it does happen, of course. And any mm. you could have the quietest command in the yeah. world, and the next thing you know, you have a catastrophe on your hands. Yeah, it's that's the way policing is, and the same yeah. with Ambos, of course, and the fireys. Yeah. You know, yeah. all three of us are very bound together. Yeah. Um, <coughs> But it wasn't until, uh, I, I think the first chink in my armour was probably in 2005 when I was in the back of that ambulance and I had to call urgent. And I remember a mate called Dave Cogno, he was in Highway Patrol, he was first off and I was trying to hold this offender who was bleeding out from this massive head wound. Yeah. And he was bleeding, I had to grab him, but only after I grabbed him and his, all his bandages came off his head that yeah. they told me he was hep C. Right. Now at the time I'd just finished a series of um, tests, tests for that HIV, HIV so it, girl yeah. spitting in my mouth. you yeah. got to do six of them or something. It is, yeah, yeah, and yeah. by then my girlfriend had had enough and she left me. She mm. didn't, oh, okay. she didn't wow. want to put up with that anymore. Yeah. And, you know, I was wise to that. I knew that yeah. was I could understand that. Yeah. She's a little bit younger than me and um, she didn't want to have her life yeah. constrained with a partner who basically was in quasi-quarantine, you know, mm. so... That was the first time, I think, um, and the inspector who was with me at the time, Mr McCallum, I don't mind mentioning him, he's a wonderful bloke, great guy. His brother's a top old referee too. Um, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. and uh, But what, what, what I found is... Yeah. yeah, 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 Greg. <laughs> and, um, but what I found is that <coughs> after that happened, something in my mind changed dramatically um, to the point where I thought to myself, you know, this, for the first time, no matter what had happened previously, I thought to myself, this is serious shit. Mm, mm, mm. This is serious stuff, you know, mm, like mm. this is not a muck around profession. This is, this is absolutely mm. red hot deadly. Mm. It's the reality sort of hit you all of a sudden here. Yeah, mm. well, you know. Mortality, isn't it? Well, I mean, mortality. I, mean, I, I could die with, with this, you know. It's, yeah. Yeah. So that's confronting, isn't it? When, yeah. you re when that uh, comes central yeah. in the mind you, wow. you, I, I, went, I remember going home that night Mr McCallum I had, they stripped me completely off my clothes mm -hmm. and uh, my gun belt and everything just took my, my, took my firearm and 
handcuffs and the stuff that had to stay, but everything else, shirt, pants, boots, socks, everything was mm. thrown out. Right. And I was just in a hospital gown, basically, that they mm. gave me. Mm. Uh, oh, Mr. McC- uh, no, he brought in a set of overalls for me, that's right, um, OSG overalls, and uh, um, he said to me, well, you know, don't, you, you'll be right, mate, you'll be right. And, and I'm not, this is no, just mm. <laughs> not an attack on him at all, he was terrific. Mm. But after that, it was just business as normal. <laughs> it was just business as normal. And I think you didn't want to say anything because you're only junior in the job and you didn't want to rock the boat mm, and say, sure. hey, look, I'm st- I struggled to sleep over this, you know. Mm. You still go to work, though. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because, Spoke you know, about that. And remember, I had kids Marty. too, yeah. you know. So yeah. I didn't want to, and they were little kids, and I didn't want to hug them and kiss them because I didn't yeah. think, well, hang on. Yeah. Am I going to give them anything? Yeah, as, okay. as, as it did, it did it. I had scratches yeah, all over me, and that yeah. where I was fighting this guy, you see, and because uh, he was off his oh, head. It on. must be awful, mate. Well, it was yeah. it was different. Let's just say that. Look, it yeah. was awful. But in the back of my mind, guys, yeah. every time something happened to me, I thought of cops that I knew who never came home, yeah. and I thought of cops that had it a lot worse yeah. and struggled a lot more than me. And those that took their own life because of it, I, I always had empathy for. Well, that others. was your coping mechanism. Yeah, your cope, was, it's, it's one of yeah. your tools that you just go to. Someone else is always worse off. I, yeah, yeah we and do I that, still that so often, don't we? Yeah, and I still do that to this day. Mm. And I, I try to, you know, you know the, the damage is not done by the what the police did to you. The damage is done in other ways to police these days. And I really have to be honest about this. You know, the insurance companies and things like that. There's no mercy out there for police after their careers are finished. You know, there's no mercy. Once you're out of the cops, you're out of the cops. If you're a pre-88 officer, you've got a pension for life. But if you're like someone for me, in the next two years I run out of my support and I'm only 57, what do I do then? Mm, mm. The money I got for my insurance, for my injuries, mm. wouldn't even get me a house deposit. Mm. Certainly not today. Well. Mm. So people think that, you know, you get all this money. Mm. Man, you're on your own. Mm. Do your friends call you? No. Mm. I, I'm appreciative of guys who do, you know, come up and see me. There's a couple of uh, really, really good cop mates that I went through the academy with. The chief? He goes and see Gaz? Yeah, Gaz, Gaz Sims. Good, good Gary Sims. Good He's one yeah. of, uh, he is one of God's best, isn't he? He's yeah. a good guy. He's an all supporter, which is even better. Um, he's going grey, but I won't hold that against him. No, I'm still young. <laughs> he's not going grey. He's gone white. Oh, white. Okay, yeah. He must have had a bad scare somewhere. But uh, let's put it down to that. Yeah. Might have faced someone with a double barrel. I don't, I don't know. But look, I... I, I I, I know there's, I, I have a, a, an inspector mate who, Ian Borland, who was shot four times mm. and survived up in Bathurst and then was stabbed down at Blacktown through his arm, his left arm, straight into his ribcage and that's how he drove back to the police station with the crook in the back. So, I mean, there's guys who've done it very, very tough, you know, mm. in their careers and uh, um, like I said, there's some who've lost their lives in, in the but line of duty. But yeah, but each... each for their own and it, and I understand we talk about you know we, there's someone always that's worse off but you've come to the end of your career um, and you've got these demons they're affecting you in your sleep they come to you, you, you tell us a bit about your, the PTSD issues that All you've right, had this, to this, face since this, this is where I struggle and you'll probably have to help me here no no mate, we're, we're okay so what happened there. to me mm. um, I, I before that 
I had been charged by the New South Wales Police during a gun amnesty for having in possession my old great-grandfather's old rifle. From World War Two or something? From World War One, from the Battle of Poitiers. Oh, yeah. wow. It had been cut in two and everything. Anyway, let's not go into it, but a relationship issue had the police at my front door and I was charged with four firearms charges, and uh, which broke my heart. And everyone knew it was wrong. Even, you know, I, I won't go into it. In the end of the day, it was kicked out and they mm. copped a, a tongue lashing for doing it to me. But that did destroy me in part because I thought, here's a guy who's worked so hard and so mm. many lockups and I think 48 good work things on my record and uh, police officer of the year nominations. And, and I thought, well, you know, obviously you are right, I'm just a number, nothing mm. more, nothing less. Mm. I, I had struggled to sleep from that moment, which was probably 2015, which is why I said I had 15 good years. Mm. Um, maybe 16 good years. What happened was, I um, I wasn't. I was coming home from work, and my mind was starting to race. Mm. Now I, I'd always written books in between. You know, I'd put out motor racing books and mm. and uh, books on NRL, as you say. Oh well, th that's now. But mm. um, back then there was motor. I used to do speedway and road oh, racing uh, books and that. Yeah, and and that was my hobby. It was just a hobby thing, you know, and. Uh, I, I did that to keep my mind active because I thought, well, one way I could combat this is to get back into publishing. So I produced, I had, certainly had a divorce and um, I, I produced five or six books in an uh, eight-year period just, you know, for the sake of, I mean, the beautiful coffee table books to keep my mind busy. Um, but what I started to find is that I couldn't settle my mind down. I was fine at work. I was a machine. I'd go out and I'd pick up a crook twice a day on my own. I'd go out from Parramatta Police Station, walk past Peter Wynn, say, hey, Peter, yeah. Pelican, which because I used to call crooks Pelicans because I couldn't believe how stupid so many of them were. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I ran Operation Pelican, so I was bringing in cops with little experience into a, a very difficult area to work to give them experience, and we had the horses and everything come in. And so I was running those operations, and... I think what, what was happening with me was that um, unbeknownst to me and for not unknown reason at the time, my mind was deteriorating and it was starting from lack of sleep. Mm, sure. At work, like I said before, I could, I could do anything. I, I, I wanted to do everything. I just wanted to be there and I was pushing myself probably ridiculously hard, you know. I know other officers were saying, look, Locks, was my nickname was Locks, go mm. and... Um, uh, you know, go and uh, uh, go into a different area where you don't have to go out every day of the week, you know. Mm. Um, but it just wasn't why I joined the cops, you know. I, I joined the cops to try and to make the community safe. And the mm. only way I felt making the community safe was going out and getting rid of the crooks, you know. Mm. Not mm. every day I did it, but you know, I'd, I'd, I'd take other police out and there were some really good cops who'd come out with me. Mm. Mm. Um, what, what I'm picking up, Tony, is this kind of um, um, commitment, if you like, to your original um, excitement of actually making a difference in the police force, um, and that, uh, um, and so that was the dominant idea in your mind, and you, and you weren't able to pay a sufficient attention to how am I travelling, particularly outside of work, 
um, and um, and so and so that warning sign, if you like, got lost um, by the commitment to the reason why you signed up. And if you had been able to sort of debrief with someone who was sensitive to those kind of contradictions, they may have been able to see, uh, help you to see something more clearly um, that, that you could then have maybe re-evaluated um, your original belief um, alongside what was actually going on for you that could also uh, been given air time and consideration on your part. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. I found the initial um, lack of sleep was coming through a, uh, an incident that I went through. And, of course, I had children die in my arms in car crashes. And, oh, you know, I, I, I've, you know... I've, I've Same. Big, big. Yeah. It's big, yeah, yeah. and and having yeah, children and having children the same age as me, yeah. uh, my children yeah, was very course, difficult, and mm. uh, you know, um, I, it, it's a scenario that again, you click in and you do your job. Mm. I remember the one particular one I did with a young boy in a car. He it was actually a stolen car, and he crashed. His mate was killed outright, and they turned over another car as they as they were speeding and the poor police officer, sergeant, I think it was from um, Maryland's, who was chasing them, had no idea they were kids. But it was a horrific crash and, of course, I was one of the first off. Um, we were actually waiting for the pursuit to come past Wentworthville. Well, I remember getting there and the poor young fella, I mean, they're only 13 and 14. Mm. The 13-year-old was the driver. I think he was 13, yeah. And anyway, so for the next hour and a half, I sat in the wreck with him and it looked like a hand grenade had gone off in the wreck. And um, I remember cradling him in my arms and keeping him awake while they were mm. trying to cut him mm. free because that was my job. And my sergeant at the time, lovely bloke, was holding the, the, the bags for the ambos and that, the okay. saline That's bags yeah, and that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And every time he'd drift off, I'd slap him on the face and wake him up. I said, wake up, mate. Come on. I want you to pull through this. And, um, you know, I mean, these car accidents at high speed, what people forget is... They're, they're bombs. F mm. Five kilometres an hour, ten kilometres an hour is not going to kill you. Mm. Mm. 30, 40, 50 kilometres an hour will seriously uh, yeah. ruin you. In a head-on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, he didn't, wasn't a head-on, but he certainly went into a brick wall and into a gutter and uh, it was a mess. But um, the bo human body explodes, basically, mm. and it's mm. terrible. And for such a young boy to have this happen, all he wanted was his mum and his girlfriend. Yeah. Um, and I just... I, I remember the tenseness of the situation. I was watching him like a hawk. He was the same age as my son Alex at the time. And I was watching him like a hawk. Every time his eyes rolled back, I'd slap him on the face. Mm. Come on, son, keep awake. You know, I forget his name now. And they took the roof off. They took the doors off. They took everything because yeah. it was just such a mess. And then, just as we were carrying him out, we were all carrying him out, he died. Mm. And I thought to myself, you know, like that's a lot of... that's. Even the army does. You don't get through that. Mm. You know, that's an hour and a half sitting trying to keep one person alive. You know, and I wasn't. Mm. I was only doing something that any parent would do with yeah. their child, and yeah. he wasn't my child. But I yeah. felt he was my child, and I wanted him to live, mm. regardless of what he'd done. We all do stupid things in our life. Oh, yeah, I've made so many yeah. mistakes. <laughs> I couldn't begin to imagine what I've done, silly. Yeah. You know, mm. I've. Uh, I wrote the book. <laughs> well, look. We're not infallible. No, we, we all no. we all have our fallibilities, yeah. and, and I, I'm no better than anybody else. Um, that that 
Ma'am, uh, our new uh, Ma'am Webb, who's our new commissioner, was our um, superintendent at the time at Parramatta, and she was the only one who came up and asked if I was all right because I was sitting in the gallery. I remember I had my vest on, had blood all over me, and that, and I was just so ex physically exhausted. I, I went home that night. I drank a bottle of wine, mm -hmm. and I could not get that. Even today, I cannot get that little boy's mind uh, face out of my mind. He's there forever. Yeah. Um, I knew I was there was an issue then. Then I um, had an in incident where at Parramatta at Darcy Street, where I was chasing an offender. The offender was um, uh, has just uh, committed a robbery, and I chased him. And anyway, he uh, I, I was on cold legs too, and I just finished lecturing nurses at Westmead about the dangers of walking back to your car. You know, you, you need to walk okay. with someone because there was mm. a few incidents at the time from the nurses there. So I went and lectured them on self-protection and that. So I ended up chasing this guy. I went down in the underground car park at Sydney Water and he turned on me and off his face on ice. Now, ice is the biggest killer, the biggest trauma we Destructive, face. yeah. Yeah, and it's, uh, I'm actually writing a book called Ice, Ice Baby, which mm. is my 10 years on the streets dealing with ice mm. and that's another story for another day mm. but that is mm. a really horrific yeah a mate of mine uh, who was in there luke frudenstein who was yeah. the crime yeah. commander he you know had set up a whole plan of how yeah. to tackle it all yeah uh it's a it, yeah well i dealt with it hand to hand mm. you know so many occasions but anyway that's another incident but the thing is that so this guy turned on me threw a knife at me i missed knife missed and then it was suicide by cop incident so he just kept coming at me telling me to kill him if you don't kill me i'm going to kill you i've got a machete behind my back i'm going to cut you in two and all that so this went on and on and on mm. and whilst i was backing up with my firearm at him mm. my back went my l4 and l5 dislocated and of course then my sciatic nerve stopped yeah, my yeah. left leg from working mm. So now I'm in trouble. So I've got my firearm out towards him. I've got my, his knife that I picked up on the run in my right hand because I'm a lefty. Um, actually, I could shoot with both hands, but they wouldn't let me have two guns, you know. I, <laughs> you would have been good in the old uh, West, mate. Yeah, I reckon I could have. Right. Yes. No, yeah. no, no. It's Get off your donkey, <laughs> empty your pockets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the weapons instructor didn't find it funny when I said, could I have two? But anyway, um, the thing was that, uh, that, that the suicide by cop is a very, very... Um, serious scenario any police officer would face because if you do need to press that trigger yeah. you, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't not only just with the public but also with the hierarchy of the New South Wales police you know yeah. you're treated as a criminal when you're not yeah. you know you're just doing your job and uh, look the, the thing is that um, I was just about to kill him yeah. he everything was the most horrific mind-numbing terrifying experience yeah. of my life up to that point yeah. Yeah. when he turned on me and threw the knife and then came at me wanted me to kill him and he was fair income too he was an enormous bloke too and just psychotic yeah. the terror I can't yeah. describe it would be like hanging on uh, off a cliff mm. knowing you're going to fall a thousand feet and there's no one to pick you up yeah. pull you back that's the terror mm. so this this incredible terror was going through me. I mean, it was I was cold with terror. Mm. I'm thinking, this is gonna. I can't believe this has finally happened. This is my. This is my. It's gonna make you or break your moment. Mm. And I was coping, protecting myself, and I knew what I had to do if I had to do it. And my firearm wasn't at his chest at the time, but it was down 
mm. you know, pointed safely down to his knees, legs, you know, mm. a guarded position. And then he just kept coming closer and closer, charging towards me. I could see his eyes were wide open. And then he said to me something that changed everything. And I'm sure a lot of police out there will know what I'm talking about. Mm. That white fear that you have until it gets personal. And he said to me, kill me now, you see, mm. because if you don't, you'll never see your kids again. Mm. From that moment on, all the fear dissipated no fear whatsoever. It went gone. It's like a numbness overcomes Num you. Yeah. I just said, okay. I said to him, sorry, mate. So I pointed the gun at him, um, put my finger on the trigger, and he was dead, man walking. Mm -hmm. I still see him as a dead man walking. He's dead now, anyway. He, he died of an overdose, I believe, down in South Australia. But he, he was well known for doing this, wanting police to kill him. Mm. And uh, I, like I said, I said, sorry, mate. Once he said that, all the fear went out. Mm. I was happy just to point the gun at him mm. and shoot him. Thankfully, mm. my backup arrived because it was a signal one. Because uh, it was too busy for me to get back on the radio. I, mm. You know, it was life and death. Mm. Um, 40 police turned up or 30. I can't remember the number. It was an enormous amount of number. They finally found out where I was um, with their firearms out too. And it gave me just that amount of time to... Um, mm reassess the situation and for him to back off mm. but I remember the pain from my back then was radiating at the time mm. I um, went back to uh, back to work after that um, that well I, I went home early and I just went home and I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried not because of the situation that I didn't care about him at all. If I'd shot him, I wouldn't mm -hmm. have cared less. Mm -hmm. and, and I know that sounds terrible, and I don't mean that to be disrespectful to anybody who's listening. No, no, I mean, it's not until it you're in a, that situation yourself that you're going to... It was my life he was playing with, yeah. but then it was the children's life he was playing with. They were going to mm. be without a dad had he mm. got his way, mm. and it wasn't going to happen, you know? Mm. Not my watch, you know? I was there to protect the public. He'd already robbed a store. Mm. Um, so, basically, I... I I just, I cried and I cried and I cried. In fact, again, I bought a bottle of wine, went home on the way home and, and I drank that wine mm. and I was so dehydrated, I actually got gout wow. that night. Yeah. Never had mm. anything like that in my Gee. life before, but I hadn't drunk any water. Mm. The stress mm. and mm. obviously... Well, that comes about from it as well, doesn't it? Mm. I well, woke up in the morning, I couldn't walk. Yeah, yeah. My foot had swollen up. a huge up. inflammation response to the stress that you've been under. Well, I yeah. thought the pain was bad from the back, but yeah. the pain was nothing compared to the wow. gout well, that I, I got. That, I yeah. never had it before. Wow. Yeah. The, the, I recovered from that, got back on duty. A long, hard road. I got back on duty and I was back out doing my job. And then another incident occurred where uh, a person was trying to commit suicide in the main street of Parramatta by throwing themselves in front of cars. And of course, you know, you fire up the roof and they hit the siren and away you go to that job. We got out there and the person had already been hit by a car but had obviously done not much damage. And uh, so I went up to see if they were okay and they turned on me, went to grab my firearm and snapped my knee. Mm. Meniscus and my knee was all cracked, destroyed. Mm. This one still hurts. Mm. That's why I'm rubbing it. It's yeah, yeah, sore no, down. I noticed that. that yeah, and, um, knees, uh, you know, so that's 2015, I think. Mm -hmm. mm. Well... Now I'm getting bad. Yeah. I'm going to see ESP and all that sort of stuff. Right. But uh, they weren't doing anything for me. You know, right. they're only very junior people. They seem to be 
just learning, you know. Mm. I, I sort of answered my own questions, not them. Mm-hmm. Go back on duty again. When, you, when you're going and you're seeing these people, are you informing them that when you're going home, you're breaking down? Or is yeah. that, is that you're, yeah. you're coming straight out yeah, with yeah. that? Okay, yeah, you, know, yeah. you don't have a problem being vulnerable and in, in, in saying, you know, I, I broke down, I, I, this is what's happening before, I'm crying myself to sleep, mm. I'm, if I'm getting any sleep. Yeah, look, I, I, a few people knew I was doing it tough at times. Um, I, by this time, I had a, a, a Mam Boone, a superintendent called Mam Boone, a wonderful lady, fantastic boss, very, very supportive of me, but knew, uh, again, I still wasn't accepting that there was something wrong. Mm. Mm. Okay, well, every cop, a lot of cops I knew were drinking heavily and a lot of cops I knew were, mm. you know, dealing with things differently and I know there was a lot of marriage breakups and mm. stuff like that, but, you know, for the most part, you'd still get back to work. You didn't want people to know you were going through this. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. probably think I told them the entire story, but I did tell them I was suffering because, I mean, yeah. I was going there. So it was, place. it was like an imbalance, you felt. It was oh, a, abs- a complete shift. And Absolutely. Yeah. And, and my family and a girlfriend I, was, I had at the time... Um, realised this too and right. they said you know you, you've got PTSD no I don't yeah. or yeah. the kids would say dad why are you shouting at us yeah. so much yeah. I said no, I'm not shouting I just asked you to do something go and do it yeah. no dad you're shouting at us you're going crook all the time mm. well see I, it doesn't compute mm. because mm. the next mm. day you go back to work or, or you have a couple of days off and then you go back and do what you are doing before. Yeah, yeah, and when you're back at work again, um, everything sort of recalibrates because you know what you're doing. It recalibrates. Isn't it? That's so the perfect scenario. As yeah. soon, in fact, I had a sergeant call me the other day who's going through a very, very tough time, mm. very tough time. Mm. And he now understands what I went through. Mm-hmm. He, his way of getting out of it is going to work. Mm, yeah. Because yeah, when he goes yeah. into work, he feels he's a superstar. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he is because they love him. He's a great guy, yeah, a great yeah. cop. And he's a terrific bloke too, and a very, very good person. Mm. Breaking down. So, just quickly, before we get into any questions, you you asked what the catalyst was. Well, they were a lead up. They're only a lead up. Mm. This is what happened. I got back onto duty, full duties. Got through the knee, two surgeries on my knee, surgery on my back. Got back to full duties. So. I was so proud of myself. I worked so hard and I just, you know, I was back to myself. I felt I was back the old, same old locks or as my old BP used to call me, my old sergeant, Dog Locksley, because he felt I was like a dog going out and catching the crooks, you know, wouldn't wouldn't stop. Um, probably not something I'd want to be remembered for now, but um, like I said, I pushed the envelope probably, mm. but unbeknownst to myself at the time. But So what happened, there was... Three incidents in a row in 2018, 2019 maybe, beginning of 2019 I think, yeah. Three incidents in a row, this is what happened to me. I was acting sergeant, first day on, I was in Parramatta 14, a child had been hit by a car. So I light up the roof and off I go up to Pennant Hills Road, just near the King School. Little five-year-old's been hit at high speed by a motor vehicle. The poor child. I was first police officer off, and she was lying in front of the car. And I never ever forget. I can still hear her screams in my nightmares, and I can still look at those. Her eyes were in so much pain they were black. Wow. True. And her legs, her little legs. She was the most adorable-looking little child. 
and her legs look like again uh, uh, a bomb had gone off mm. under them mm. I remember and a lot of people may not want to listen to this so if you don't want to hear anything horrible but I'm going to tell you because this is what we face her white bones pure white bones out of her legs I feel those today and I can still smell the blood from that incident so I get on the radio I need urgent and, and uh, get me some help here because the roads are blocked and everything I'm the only guy here uh, can I get some backup please radio Parramatta Ford are you okay yeah yeah just get me because I can hear the child screaming in the back mm. yeah just get me some help shit okay so that's the first job and of course that was after that finished then when the ambos turned up it wasn't a matter of you know well let's assess her they just scooped the little thing up mm. the poor little girl and, and and what's worse her grandmother was trying to take the the, the, the little girl to the hospital herself yeah and take I had to, to keep pushing her away mm. and I mean mm. aggressively having to push mm. the grandmother away mm. and the grandmother is psychotic mm. Because instead of taking the little girl across the, imagine, yeah. across the stop-go signs or, or the lights, the traffic lights, she ran her across open road, right. which I still to this day will never understand why. But anyway, that was the, she never got hurt, but the little one did terribly. Mm, mm, mm. So anyway, they scooped her off and took her to the hospital. I never followed up what happened to her. I mm. couldn't stand to, to know that. Secondly, mm. back into the job. So I did so many other jobs that day. I remember it was a very busy day. The next day, uh, I'm with a probationary constable in Parramatta 15. I hear urgent job. Um, uh, the Maryland's guys have got a, a young bloke under a B double. And uh, so I get there, and he's the same age as my son, 22 years old or 21 years old. He's been run over by a B double on the highway there at Cumberland Highway. So, you know, the probationer, who's an experienced guy now, a good bloke too, very, very good guy, very good police officer, um, older bloke too. I'd, as I'm driving there, like I always did, I'm like, okay, we're going to see something pretty bad, mate. I want you to assess yourself. I want you to be prepared, okay? This is what we're going to do. We're going to call off. We're going to do this, rah, rah, rah. Like I, I tried to teach every police officer to be the best police officer they could and always be alert, ready mm -hmm. for anything. Mm -hmm. So we pull up and it's just, it's just like a, a battle scene. Mm. This, and the poor truck driver, you know. But the poor bloke's struggling to live. He's been horrifically damaged. All I could do was kneel next to him with the... Uh, with, there was a nurse there, I think, at the time then, mm. off-duty nurse, and I said, mate, hang in there, son. The ambos are coming. Mm. Well, we had Chopper come in. We had... And you could imagine it was just chaotic. The, mm. the traffic was so badly blocked, you mm. couldn't get traffic in. So the mm. Chopper comes in, and he comes in fast, mm. And then comes back around, and so the inspector and I are running up trying to clear the traffic, mm -hmm. while the probationary constable's trying to settle things. And he's only new on the job. Mm. Uh, we're trying to clear traffic because he's going, he's coming in fast. In, and he, in fact, he came in that hard. He actually skidded in between the roadway. Wow! And then they bailed out. That's how mm. incredible it was. So uh, again, we're carrying him to the ambulance, and of course he's. He's dying, and, and he mm. died just as we put him in. There was no way he was going to survive, mm. sadly. Mm. So anyway, get back into the job and back out into more jobs. That's just the way it is. But the inspector that day came and said, oh, that was a pretty tough one, the one we were running up and down the, the, the highway clearing the traffic. I said, yeah, yeah, it's okay, boss. Oh, okay. He said, yeah, but it was a tough one. I said, yeah, yeah, it was a tough one. 
anyway, he said, okay, we'll take care and good luck. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Went and did more jobs. The last job I ever did, uh, except for when I was working behind the, um, at Penrith when I was injured and that trying to recover, um, and a little bit at Parramatta, behind the desks when uh, uh, a person had died from a drug overdose and had been deceased for quite some time and oh of course okay. you could smell mm. them before mm. you even mm. drove into the sure. facility at it was at Toongabby so the uh, the fireys I sent because I was acting sergeant set the fireys in they opened up the window and yeah confirmed deceased uh, but of course it has to be a police officer back in first in because it's a crime scene so I went in took a deep breath mm. <laughs> now this was pretty bad you know and I'd been around it I was actually a funeral director for many years I forgot to mention to you back in the 80s and ran funeral homes and everything so the deceased was never a worry it was always the living or the injured that really tore me up mm -hmm. really badly you know but um, I went in anyway I ran out of breath and then you know the bloody maggots were crawling over my feet and everything and I couldn't oh. open the door because of the the um, the door had gained all the moisture from the deceased. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, it's swollen. It's yeah. swollen, and mm. I couldn't open the door. My God. Mm. Anyway, long story short, I got out of there eventually, and I remember there was two SPOs, student police mm. officers, who really wanted to go in and have a look. Mm. Like, Sarge, can we go in and have a look just to get the experience? Yeah. And I said, mate, you yeah, sure mate. that's something that you want? Yeah. And they said, oh, well, we can smell it. You know, we, we might as well have a look. Anyway, I think they ended up having a look. But I didn't want to even... This is how ridiculous it was. And maybe you can answer me why I did this. I had told two junior police to go in and do that job. Mm. You guys go in. Mm. And they're, oh, no, Sarge, I don't want to go in. Now, mm. 20 years ago, you wouldn't have said no. Mm. You would have said, yes, yeah, Sarge, no worries. Anyway, I thought, okay, they're young blokes. I'll, I'll do it. Mm. I'll go in. I'm used to that stuff. I broke. Nothing prepares you for something like that. Well, I, I'd, I'd seen worse, much, much worse, but it was the situation I couldn't breathe, I'd lost my breath, and mm. I was making, I felt I was making a total idiot of myself by having to go back out the window mm. to take a deep mm. breath to come back in. Mm. That night um, was the end of my career. Mm. I went home again, I cried, and I, I was crying for no reason. Mm. I don't mm. know why I was crying. Mm. I was, again, I got a bottle of wine and I was drinking it, and I was thinking to myself, what the hell is going on with you, Tony? Mm. What mm. the hell has happened? Why am I crying over this? You know, like mm. it's, come on, you know, you're mm. a big, strong bloke, you know. You. So what did you do to cope with that? Then obviously, you know, your, your career's come to an end. What's, how did you go about, did you go and see a doctor? Did you see yeah, a psychiatrist, yeah, psychologist, yeah, yeah, psychotherapist? Yes, yes, I was seeing people like that soon after more than ever. Mm -hmm. um, I think in retrospect it hadn't it, I, I knew there was an issue and they knew there was an issue mm. my physical injuries I could beat mm. sure. I beat the physical injuries mm. even today I still handle them you know mm -hmm. mm. I think because of my boxing and the, you know I was, I was strong sure. and fit and sure. uh, I was walking everywhere and a, you know a good strong physical body and at the time but my mind was as weak as hell yeah. it was weakening up I think what happened was I wasn't accepting it. After that, I began to accept it, that there was something seriously mm. wrong that I couldn't control any anymore. Mm. And I was, I was actually, I was, you know, uh, the Wizard of Oz when the Wicked Witch at the end she 
she melts okay, yeah, at yeah, the yeah, end. Yeah, the Wicked Witch melts. Puff of smoke or yeah, and puffs yeah, yeah. of smoke and liquid and that liquid, at the end. Yeah. Mm. That's how I felt I was going. Mm. Right. That's the best description I've, I think, and the first guys I've ever told that to. Mm. I felt like the Wicked Witch just, just was melting, yeah, melting yeah. at the end of the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I've, I've, I've certainly felt like that myself. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are listening can say. The catalyst yeah. was I was coming back and forth to work as best as I could where they were trying to get me back again, getting me a lot of help in that. But I drove to work one day and I remember crying all the way to work and I was still in my pyjamas. That moment on, I was put into a private room at the police station. Man Boone came and saw me. My sergeant, which is BP, mm. thank God, he was the last sergeant I worked with. He said, Lox, I think you're done, mate. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what he said to me. That was 2019. He said, Locks, I think you're done. Mm. Did, did you need to hear that? Yeah, I did. Right. I needed to hear it from him. You yeah. needed to hear from him. Yeah. Him and Kendigo. Yeah. And so, what did you, and how did that come? What happened? How did you, when you said that to you? It, oh, I was just bawling my eyes out, mate. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I think yeah, it upset a lot of junior of police too. Because yeah. all these police who looked up to me or. Yeah who thought, oh, Lox is a gun, you know, Lox can do this, he can yeah. do well, that, he goes out, he gets yeah. all yeah. There's suddenly a blubbering mess in front of them, mm. not even dressed for work, because I hadn't slept, and I hadn't slept for weeks, to mm. be honest. Mm. Ga- you going. know, Gary's talked about that with some mm. of his officers. You notice, you pick it up, the signs, you know. Yeah. S- yeah. Um, incoherence at times is a good sign, as you would know, yeah, yeah, being yeah, a psychotherapist, yeah, you know, yeah, being yeah. a bit incoherent, not with it 100%. Mm-hmm. Distant. Mm. It can, I mean, it could also be a lot more serious too, you know. Um, but so I knew I was in trouble. Yeah. So what's what's what I, I want to know, uh, Tony? What's really helped you to where you are today in those last two and a half years? Because I can't imagine there'd be too many days that'd be good days for you. I, you you'd probably still get a lot of nightmares oh, yeah, I, I feel yeah. it in the, in the words that you're saying yeah. now yeah, that you're nightmares. still carrying a lot of this grief yeah. um, that comes with it so what it, what's what, what's been the catalyst behind you getting to where you are today How, what would you say is okay well I have you had someone that you've turned to yeah, like a yeah, great I, therapist is Michelle it a, your Grosvenor, partner Michelle Grosvenor at yeah. um, uh, she's a psychologist right. I haven't been a psychiatrist mm. I don't need a psychiatrist, but my s- psychologist is wonderful. I have mm-hmm. a great doctor, Dr. Coghill. Yeah. At, um, I had cancer, uh, as you might know, uh, last year. Yeah. I had a third of the top of my arm taken out. Yeah. So, I mean, I've weathered that and beat that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that was terrible too. And, and nothing prepares you for when someone says you've got cancer. No, 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 that's right. usually that's crashed right. the car when I was driving yeah. when they told me. Mm-hmm. But... Um, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> roll yeah. with the punches. Look, yeah. you've been through. But you look at the I think a lot of people are getting that when they're told they got COVID as well. You know, that's. <laughs> oh, I didn't know I worried about COVID. <laughs> Although nearly, my son was taken to hospital a few uh, a week ago. Very yeah. serious condition. Yeah, yeah. twice. Yeah. So yeah. he's very lucky boy. He's got severe asthma. So thank God. Oh gosh. And, and the Nepean is fantastic, and so is Katoomba and. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've got some good paramedic mates, mm. and, and they're great people. You know, mm. and yeah. Dave King's one of them. Great yeah, man, yeah, King. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Christian Morkinson, mm. he's another great bloke. You know, I worked with Christian when I was on duty and that. Um, okay, so yeah, mate. Look, it, it was just a situation I think where I said to myself, okay, I'm n- I'm, I'm now out, mm. um, and I was medically discharged. With honours, I suppose. You know, I was mm. given a beautiful plaque, a great send off. I was mm. so lucky, mm. great barbecue and everything, and that helped. 
Mm-hmm. That helped, you know, good speech by my commander and, you know, a lot of people there and uh, um, that helped me ease out. Uh, and a lot of police who are listening now, I, I, I'm sure you'll put your hand up, but the dreams that you actually have is being still a police officer working mm. on the beat and doing things as a cop and mm. trying, if you are out of the job, trying to stay in. Mm. They're the worst nightmares mm. at times because you love the job that much, you don't mm. want to be out of it. Mm. It's, it's, it's a happening. Mm. It's a lifestyle mm. as a cop. You know, mm. it, you can't explain it. It's, mm. it's, you're at war every day of the week when you're on duty. Mm. If you're out in the street, you're at war. Mm. You know, you, you, there is something around the corner that can take you out any split second, you know. Mm. And, but I think I write my books. I, I do. I just finished two rugby league books. Mm. I, I just um, have two more to do. I, I do them as a hobby, you know. It's a, I have a full throttle publishing business, but I just do them as a hobby. We don't print huge numbers, but they're incredible beautiful books you know yeah, how can people get hold of some of your books uh, fullthrottlepublishing.com.au full, full throttle publishing we'll put that up on the pages on the socials yeah fullthrottlepublishing.com.au yeah we've done books on know. yeah yeah it's, <laughs> we've done books on rugby league i'm just doing one on the first world yeah. war now which yeah. uh john howard has accepted to do the forward for so well there yeah you go. and i'm fingers crossed i'll get uh, sir peter jackson to do the afterword yeah. as you know he's a huge military first world war military buff yeah. but this isn't it no book has been done like this before. It's got 2,000 images in it, all high-res oh, artwork, wow. old postcards, letters home. Wow. It's a kaleidoscope of wonderful imagery wow. all the way through, which yeah. is why it's called The Great War in Landscapes and Images. Well, I reckon this bloke here, Bodie, yeah. I reckon he should publish some of his stuff. Mate, I, you. I... Because... You, you know, know what? Publishing is very... It, it, it's, it's the most wonderful feeling to not only be writing and producing a book but then mm. when you get the book in your hands mm. you there is no better yeah. feeling in the world yeah. that that is everything yeah. to you mm. that you've mm. done there yeah Nothing, of course you know and every book of mine i thank my kids yeah. and those who help me but i always thank mm. yeah. the police on duty and I always support them in my yeah. books well i think i think babes it's like this morning we first started off the quote that he brought forward it does that every week comes forward with something that's just remarkable and you know even if they're just little one line quotes or another poem or just something I'd love you to put a book together Bodes of of all those little quotes and those poems and everything and stick it in there and go to Full Throttle Publishing and call it Chuck (laughs) you know what you should call your book (laughs) Full Throttle Publishing and call your book Chuck it in neutral Chuck it in neutral (laughs) (laughs) you know look uh, Tony what I'm interested in is your resilience I mean you're talking about a new life yeah. Um, an old life came to an end. Yeah. And I think endings um, are like that are, are devastating. Um, and then you actually wander in the um, wilderness for quite a while trying to figure out, well, what on earth am I going to do with myself? Because mm. all I know is, is, is where I've come from, you know, mm. which is policing. Um, and I'm sort of hearing you talking, starting to talk about your... Um, that there was a recovery time and it was through writing that you were able to um, put together a sense of well, this is who I am and this is what I believe in and this is what I can write about and this is a story I want to tell. And so you began another life. Mm. There's light at the end of the tunnel. There's light at the end it. of the tunnel, mm. if you can find it. If you Absolutely. can find it. Look, mm. we've lost two police officers in two weeks to suicide. Mm. Wow. Mm. A 60-year-old former inspector wow. and oh, a 23-year-old constable. Yeah. Um, took their own life 
Yeah. I think, you know, there's a lot of police officers out there, a lot of emergency workers, mm. people in general, mm-hmm. teetering on the edge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I worked up here, I saw so many suicides up here. It was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. it, it, mental health is a huge concern. Why it hasn't been addressed properly by the governments, I'll never know. Why it hasn't been addressed properly by the New South Wales Police, I'll never know. Well, I think... I think we great are. questions. The, yeah, they, they are, are really great important qu- questions. Yeah. Uh, your, your questions attack this idea of um, that we are invulnerable. And the truth is, I think, that we're um, more vulnerable than we can bear to really know about. And if we, if we were to accept some idea of vulnerability, we'd put better policies in place to assist first-line responders um, the police, uh, Ambos. Yeah. I've got two Ambos I play badminton with, um, Damo and uh, Brian Sneddon. Mm. And, um, you know, those are competitive as hell, but it's a beautiful discharge yeah. of, that, of the work that they do. And they need mm. it. And they, they need, need it, it, you know what I mean? So, um, but I think that um, we've got a lot of work to do to recognise um, just how vulnerable we are and why we need connection and why we need good community um, policies in place that enable us to actually really open up when we actually need to so that we protect each other's mental health mm. yeah. mental health is always it's still an idea that you that you have collapsed that you're not as good as you're made out um, and that's just an absurdity mm. yeah, um, it is look I write poetry basically to recover my optimism when events actually uh, uh, smash me so when I saw that image of a woman who was birthing, dragged out of a mattress out of the maternity hospital in the Ukraine that got hit by a Russian missile, uh, and she was still trying to, she was covered in blood and she's still trying to uh, give she, birth. Mm. She passed away, sadly. And, yeah. she, and she passed away. Look, um, I've got to write a poem about that because that is such an insult um, uh, to um, the, the um, sanctity of life. Humanity. And humanity, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, uh, that's what I found in the cops. There are so many incidents like that that make you question human life, you know, and ICE is one of those issues that really needs to be addressed. And Mr Scipioni, our former commissioner, brought that up years ago to the the politicians. And would I trust a politician? Not in a million years. Mm -hmm. I dealt with them as a a crime prevention officer Mm. in the local area. I I, I think you have have a... (laughs) a chain of command in this world and they're down the bottom. I don't care who they are. They, they cannot be trusted because the way politicians are today, they protect themselves, their constituents only to protect themselves again. So that's the way the politicians seem to work these days. Um, I think the hierarchy of the New South Wales Police has a lot to answer for. Um, I think the, the guys on the ground, like Simsy and others, have a massive responsibility now to ensure their troops are okay. Mm. Um, is it being done? I, I don't know. I, I, I know there's a lot of cops going about their job today, I know personally, th- that are in need. But, you know, they'll talk to me, but I, I can't. I'm not going to... It's up to them to do that. I'm not going to break their trust. You wouldn't sure. do that. Neither no. would you. You no. wouldn't break their trust. No. Um, but I think, you know, in the long run... Um, if more police keep taking them, I mean, for two police to commit suicide in two weeks and yet nothing's said in the mainstream media, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, what the hell is going on? Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. the most disrespectful 
part of this whole incident of mental health in the, not only the New South Wales Police but for emergency services and the military. Mm. We put our lives on the line, mm. our souls on the line for the people of New South Wales, for so the people of why Australia. Why do you think that they don't put that, that in the media? Do you think that it's the media? Do you think oh, it's, yeah, the, it's the media? It's a bad I, news story. I don't, think, that I, no, I don't th think it is at all. I think it's the police. Well, possibly too. Yeah, that, I think look, the police are in control of the entire situation. I well, think it's look, got nothing to do with with the journalists saying or wanting to do that. It's perhaps, ma'am, sign perhaps, of weakness. Yeah, perhaps, ma'am, Webb may be different, yeah. and she's a good human being. Mm -hmm. The previous guy, I wouldn't have any time for personally. Mm -hmm. Would have t no time for. Um, but that's my opinion. Well, yeah, I mean, I, look, yeah, I, I'd like to see some changes. I've, worked with Gary and, and a local um, Gundungurra fella here, David King, and, and getting um, the Aboriginal flag recognised uh, up at the police station as it is at the courthouse, as it is at the library, as it is at the um, hospital, as it is everywhere else, and but not the cop shop. And I think that that would bring people together. I think there's a lot that we could learn from New Zealand police. Mm. Um, you talk about this guy's coming at you. They've, they've got massive issues with ice over there, huge, mm. huge issue, issues. But it's, it's the way, you know, as you said, from the very beginning of this show, it's, it comes from community. It mm. comes from networking. Mm. It comes from community. Absolutely. Com communicating and being able to de-escalate or being able to assist yeah. in a way where you can relate to yeah. this guy, you know, and just say, hey. You've got to remember, mate, you just, just look at it from this point of view. When you hit the ranks of the top echelon of the New South Wales Police, you're mm. on massive money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're on massive money. Yeah. Mm. You're protecting your backside too. Yeah. It's a cutthroat world up there. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's bad enough on the streets from sergeant onwards. Mm. It's a mm. cutthroat world in the police. They have their own issues and, and seems to be the first to tell you. It, it's, it's not easy, you know, mm. um, it, it's a difficult road. But up there, yeah. they're protecting their own interests at the end of the day. Sure. They don't, they're long past worrying about the police on the street. Yeah, I think he plays I the game pretty well. You know, I, think, I think Gary plays the game pretty well by showing you know, the respect and the fact that what, what gets me about, about Gary is just how level the man is. Good just man. how calm. And that's the sort of person you need as a commissioner. But he's genuine yeah. in the in the fact that he, he has concerns for all level of community. Yeah. You know, like yeah. Gary, like Ron was just here a moment ago and he was doing the barbecue at mm. Bunnings and, and Gary just turned up to say good day, mm. um, you know, and get a sausage from him and, and left. He didn't, remember, get, didn't need anything from Bunnings. Remember, the New South Wales Police is a community. It's yeah. a community of sure. 16,000 yeah. human yeah. beings. Yeah. Human beings, yeah. mm -hmm. not numbers. Yeah. I was yeah. 38198. Mm. I wasn't Senior Constable Anthony Loxley. Mm. At the end of the day, I was 38198. Mm. And if I died in duty, I'd be remembered as Anthony Loxley, 38198. Nice. I wouldn't be remembered as Anthony Loxley, a dad, mm. an author, mm. uh, a loving human being who gave a damn about his mates and family. And I wouldn't be remembered of that. I had my name put up on the wall and that's it, walk yeah. away and they remember every year as, as someone who put their life on the line of duty and mm. so many have done that before. I'm glad it didn't happen to me. Mm. But it's what's so happened mine, to me mm. is just as damaging in many mm. ways, you know. Mm. I, I, you know, I'll never understand to... And, and, and maybe one day I'll be in a position where I can question them head on mm. and I know exactly what to say to them. 
mm. and I'll keep that for a rainy day. And I won't be disrespectful, yeah. but I put them in a position because I can talk and because mm. I can communicate. Mm. Yeah. They probably make their pants fall down. Well, you, you know. you'd like to think that with 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 change comes change. Yeah. When when we're looking at a new commissioner or for whatever the reason, mm. I just think um, you know, we've got to regardless of what happens, we've got to be positive. We've got to you know look at the fact that sometimes we're going to take two steps forward and then a, a step back it might even be three steps um, but progress is the most important thing and it's it's like it's something that i've really been saying a, a lot on this show this year is is let's not come fast to judgment let's not you know judge and, and we are doing that and that's not really who we are as a, as a nation and i and i see that all since COVID, all since this lockdown and all the stuff that we've gone mm. through that we're very fast to judge we're very fast to come to to seeing that and that's not the kindness and love that we are as a as a people we're all going through our own journeys <coughs> um just you two fellas today i've met you guys and in the back of my mind i'm saying i see you in the neck brace and that and i see you the, the, the people and the experiences that you've had in your life mm. and i say to myself well everyone is on a journey to somewhere mm. you mm. know mm. Uh, everyone has a situation that is affecting their life that we don't know about yes, so we need to err on right. caution every time we yeah. talk to someone and we meet someone until we get to know them i i the biggest issue i found is when i first got out of the cops i was not good to my children i was not good to my family i would lose control very quickly not violently but mm. i i didn't have time to listen i've i that was that was my biggest fallibility. I've learnt so many lessons since then, and I still I still have moments where even if I'm working on my book, I'll still start crying, and I can't mm, tell mm, you why. Mm, 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 you know, I yeah, never knew this and, was going to yeah. be me when I was growing up as a teenager yeah. or as a when I was working. Even the funeral industry never worried mm. me, and I saw horrific stuff in the funeral because I was doing the police contract, mm. so I was going out to these situations yeah. where the police had just you know blocked off a road or it was a car accident or suicide or something and and then picking up the same things that they were seeing mm. so i was in their element for two years yeah. you know um but i i did that job deliberately to because it's funny i knew i wanted to be a police officer but i always said to myself i wonder if i can handle this mm. and that's why i joined the funeral industry mm. to mm. i guess blood myself mm. in a way of speaking mm. you know yeah wow but <laughs> Like I said, mate, I, I've made many, many mistakes in my life. Mm. I am not perfect, and some of the people who know me know I've made mistakes as a cop, but I always put my hand up and said I made a mistake. I think that's mm. very important, but I never lied. Mm. I never lied once. I, I, wouldn't, I always encourage my children never to lie, and I always mm. encourage the probationary constables and people I worked with never lie. If you mm. make a mistake... Put your hand up and no, say, I'm sorry. It's a hard thing to do, man. That's a Put your hand yeah. up and say, mm. what are they going to do? Sack you for making a mistake with something that you've yeah. admitted to, but hide the truth yeah. or try to bury yeah. it. It's, hard to, it's, it's a hard court. thing to do when you're dealing with people that are telling you lies all the time. I, mean, I used to be an estate agent. I was an estate agent. Oh, I probably did it for 13 years. Uh, no, they're, lower, say, they're lower now than uh, uh, lawyers. <laughs> people mean, used to say to me, you know, people used to say, oh, you guys lie all the time. I said, well, mate, I've never, ever, ever met a buyer that hasn't lied. Of course. They all lie. Of course, you know? yeah. Of course. It's hard to, to, to be truthful. When oh, I feel sorry for young people these days trying to buy a home. I mean, the, the abhorrent price of home now is just... Mm. That is causing, and that Little. will cause tremendous. You talk about, but you look at where how issues, we are. That's like the first. It, you look at Australia. It's if you if you've had a map, 
it's just everyone just lives right on the coast. And what it's going to do is it's going to force or push people out to communities yeah. like Bathurst, yeah. like Orange, which is great. Yeah, I love Bathurst. Yeah. And I love Orange. Yeah, I, think I great do places, too. You know? And you know, there's some wonderful tips. Noel's been cruising up the the bloody coast of west. Well, coast, not coast, inland in the country. He's been out at Trundle. Um, but <laughs> that's what I think will happen. We will push out to areas that are further. We can say anything we want about how tough life is, but yeah. look at those poor buggers that have just lost everything, yeah. Yeah. and some for the second time in two years. Yeah, uh, again, absolutely. like I say, everyone has their own journey, and they're walking their own journey, every mm. person you come across. Mm. So that's the biggest thing just I lost. Just do, do yeah. your bit. Do if you do your thing. Every, every person just does one little thing, yeah. their own little bit. Yeah. You know, if yeah. it's a contribution to helping out financially or for furniture-wise or clothing, whatever, just do your bit. Do so your in bit. ending, yeah. you know, I, I, I think... Going back to when I was a young boy, I never thought my life would end up like it is today. I never thought I would see or experience the trauma and the hurt that I've experienced up to today. My life was bright-eyed and bushy and happy and I, can't, I could never have imagined that my life would have turned out. I never thought I'd be a cop. I'm proud I was, very proud. Proudest cop you've ever seen. But the trauma that came with it was all-consuming. Yeah. And, uh, um, but you know, I'm, I'm not saying I'm out of it, but I'm on top of it. And uh, guys like yourselves are godsends because you know why? Blokes like myself, and I haven't spoken like this. I've got to tell you, this is the first time I've probably opened up so heavily. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. And I, thank you, and well, no, I, I think it took a while, but I've done it. And, you know, I'm. Couldn't ask for two better blokes to do it with because how, you haven't you, judged me. Yeah. How do you feel? Oh, cool. We're not going to judge you, mate. <laughs> no, no, but some do, mate. Some do. You know, some say I should just keep it to myself and that. But you know, like I, I don't. I, if there's a cop out there, an ambo, a fiery who's suffering, yeah, I want them to say to themselves, well, if Locks or Tony or Anthony can go out and talk about it, then I'm going to go and yeah. talk about it. Mm, and exactly, you know, exactly. Give him, give him permission to actually open up to the reality of what's going on for you, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and you know, the other, the flip side is there are people out there who actually like listening to the adventurous stories. Mm, mm. But the, the paradox is it's doing you the world of good. Mm, 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 mm. They're, getting, they're getting these horrific stories that you're talking mm, about in situations, uh, yeah. but it's doing you the benefit. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm talking about these situations, you know, uh, that's... Now I, the benefit is mine because I've opened up and I feel much better than actually when I because I didn't sleep last night because I again I had nightmares. Mm, mm, mm. Mate, sometimes I bound out of the bed like a kangaroo, yeah. and other times I just sit up, you know, and I say to myself, "Right, it's just a dream," mm. and I go back to sleep. So sometimes it takes me half an hour to get seriously to get up out of bed. I that's, won't. That's with me. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. some days I'm like that. Do you ever yeah. have the dreams, guys? Maybe you can yeah. while we're here. Yeah. That you're so terrified that something's standing there next to you, you cannot move your body to face what's standing there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I, I get plenty of nightmares. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Can I you tell that, me what that's about? <laughs> I, well, I, you know, Bodie's, Bodie's really good with dreams, man. He's, yeah, he, he, yeah, what yeah. He, oh, he, he's I like, Spillo, you put me on the bloody spot <laughs> again. Yeah, <laughs> here. Spot again. <laughs> no, uh, look, I, What's interesting, isn't it? Um, I, was, I was just reading Vion this morning. He was a, he was a tank commander uh, in the Second World War and became a psychiatrist when he came out. And he was one of the most interesting sort of thinkers about uh, yeah. theory of mind. Um, and he, he basically said that we're monumentally illiterate about what happens in our unconscious. 
that that steps below uh, conscious recall. And when we sleep and dream, that's when the unconscious is very active. And he basically said, we're all illiterate. Um, and we need to become much more savvy about what's going on in our unconscious. So um, yeah. that thing that you were saying about um, there's, there's something that's... Uh, I've got no idea what that would be for you at a personal level. Mm. But at a collective level, I could, I could say something like that if we faced a lot of death, the Grim Reaper um, as a shadow, as, as a figure, um, saying, you're, you, um, you know, showing up as a hostile or having a hostile intent um, is a reminder for you of the almost unbearable level of um, pressure that you've been under. And it's just a reminder that you're out of that um, um, reality, um, but it's left some residual marks on your dreaming time. And I would be saying to you, how might you start to educate your dreaming capacity um, to be um, more um, open to, the to your new becoming? Because obviously you've got a very good mind. Obviously you're able to write. Obviously you've been able to draw deeply on experience that informs your writing. So you're a creative um, and you're a cognitively uh, empowered. Um, and at, at a some level, you can start to train your, your, your dreaming mind to start to actually um, be, uh, become resilient and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, to give you dreams that affirm you rather than horrify you. Mm. Yeah? If I could say it that way. No, it, it, and you know he's right too because yeah. I eventually turn around. Yeah. I, I yeah. Yeah. see that's a yeah. turning. Yeah. Yeah. Can yeah. I tell you a quick story, fellas? I know you run out of time, but that's just right. here's a quick... When no, I was a funeral gone, director... It. It's all good now. This is when I was a funeral director. Yeah. True story on my life. Yeah. Now, whether you believe in ghosts or not, this is totally up to you. Whether you think, oh, Loxley's <laughs> full of shit, that's fine. Yeah. But I'll go on a lie detector. This yeah. is what happened to me one night. Yeah. I was running a place called P.E. Butler's Funeral Homes at Campbelltown. Uh, uh, this is in the early 80s, so 85, 86. Uh, I'd done the job because the girlfriend I was with at the time eventually became my first wife, one of a few, unfortunately, and, and I'm not proud of it. Um, uh, we had this opportunity to run this beautiful funeral home, and I mean, in rent-free with another tenant, uh, another um, funeral director living there as well. We were both resident funeral directors. In a beautiful apartment, I mean, three-bedroom apartments, you know. We had a wonderful view of two uh, graveyards, one at St David's Church and the other one across the road where the old, where the high, new highway went through. So we were in a wonderful place where we could sit and reflect about life any day of the week. See the bad moon rising. Yeah, here. yeah, literally. <laughs> anyway, look, we, as a funeral director, we used to get these calls late at night and the funeral was either going to a home to pick up a deceased or going to uh, a nursing home or a hospital or something like that, wherever we were required. So I remember getting this phone call. I was on duty that night because you, you'd take turns at the phones, two days on, two days off. And, uh, oh, look, we have a deceased at uh, such and such, Appen Nursing Home, I think it was. Um, it's a long time ago, so I don't mind mentioning it. Mm. And anyway, so I get up and get dressed. I remember we had grey trousers and a white shirt and a, a, a grey blazer or a grey suit top and uh, so we're quite casual actually and I said Dan I've got to go and got up and knocked on Alex's door Alex we got a job yeah yeah alright alright give me five minutes and he had a big Zapata moustache good bloke but a big Zapata moustache and a big boy too but he was a top guy he had this big beaming full tooth 
um, smiled, you know, and yeah. uh, I, I can see him now. Anyway, out he comes, you know, he always smoked. So we get in the, the van and we drive off to uh, the nursing home. So just as it happened, this night was stormy with a big mm. wind with black clouds going past a full mm. moon. Mm. Like, there was no werewolf in sight, believe me, but I'll tell you what. The troubles are on the way. Yeah, 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 that's right. But it was a perfect scenario <laughs> for that style of movie. Yeah. And we're, for the first time in our life, we actually didn't really talk going to this job. So we go down to the nursing home, drive down. A, a, it's lined with these beautiful poplars all the way down. So we drive down this gravel road down to the nursing home. We meet the lady. He sa she said, that, yes, the deceased is such and such. And then began t telling us about he was a wonderful old man. He was one of our favourites, you know. He was such a gentle, kind, loving man. He had a moustache and beard like yourself, a white beard and moustache. He had beautiful combed hair. And when we got there, he had a beret as well. He was holding his beret. Apparently, he loved his beret. Mm. For the first time, as I said before, Alex and I hadn't spoken. We were actually very quiet. And when we pulled back the blanket in the mortuary, we saw just this adorable-looking, kind old man you could just tell he would have been that perfect scenario for what they said he was mm -hmm. now normally you know you always treat the deceased with reverence always we mm. always did i don't know about anybody else but we always did mm. it was like as a cop too you know mm. you treat the deceased like the injured you know that's take it personally because mm. it could be anyone that you knew any time so we put him into the body bag and that and we were very Again, we didn't talk. This is the most incredible thing because we always used to chat and tell filthy jokes mm. to keep ourselves awake, but we didn't. But we're very calm and very methodical with this this gentleman. It was almost like it was reverent. Mm. Very, it was mm. crazy. Mm. So I'm sorry I'm taking time, but this is a this is an amazing story. So we drive back, and uh, the storage facilities we had there we had eight eight um, uh, eight cool uh, fridges. We put him in the bottom one and again, very gently put him in and I think I even said to him, good night, mate, you know, mm. tapped, tapped the mm. top of the fridge and said, good night, mate, and put, closed the door. And again, we walked, uh, good night, Alex, yeah, good night, Alex, yeah, good night, lots, Tony. Well, about half an hour later, and this is the most incredible experience I've ever faced other than the bloke trying to kill me, or several of them. I'm snuggled up next to Anne the door, uh, uh, we had two French windows in the main bedroom. Mm. It went out to a balcony with the moon coming through. And then we had a, a, a door facing the hallway with double doors for where you put the linen and all that sort of stuff. For some reason, I became incredibly cold. I don't know to this day why it happened, but I remember all the hairs on the back of my neck, all the hairs on my body... Mm standing upright mm. and I became terrified I mean terrified to the point where I was telling you before in those dreams mm. I, someone was standing there and I mm. can't turn around mm. and look I'm mm. too scared mm. I'm terrified mm. I mean mortally terrified mm. and so I, I'm snuggled up and I'm trying to wake Anne up Anne, Anne wake up wake up wake up mm. she wouldn't wake up I said there's something something's not right something's right mm. and she's starting to wake up and because she was starting to wake up gave me a bit of extra courage because mm. there'd be two people there not one 
Mm. And anyway, I forced myself over to the doorway and there was an apparition there. Mm. Wow. Don't know why, don't know who it was. Mm. The apparition was there and thank God Anne woke up and saw it too. Wow. <laughs> well, to this day, I think she saw I'm pretty sure she saw it. Yeah. I definitely know Alex yeah. came across. Wow. He, he talked about it too. But you it, these, you hit, these are not uncommon. No, stories I, th- hear from I people think that work at funeral homes. For yeah. me, mm. and I never saw, like, I, I never got scared. And I was in some big funeral homes. Yeah. And I was at times surrounded by a sea of deceased. Mm. Never once I, I could go in at midnight mm-hmm. in jet black mm. conditions and yeah. not be scared. <laughs> never. I was never well, scared as a cop. Yeah. But I'll never be able to explain that situation. I just think it was him thanking us yeah. for being so Terrific. respectful to him before he yeah. went wherever he went. Yeah. True story. Yeah. And to this day, I still shake my head and think, well, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Maybe there's something out there. Who knows? We'll, we'll, yeah. Until we close our eyes for the final time, we'll never yeah. know. Yeah, it's wonderful. You know. Well, look, we've got to wrap things up. We've uh, we've actually gone over by half an hour, but that's okay. But because we're coming up to the hour, um, we've really got to put a tie on things. I've, I've done a lot of naughty things today. I haven't played uh, any uh, songs. I certainly haven't played any of the sponsorship for the ads. Uh, so as we're wrapping up, I want to say thanks to Bodes uh, for coming in again, mate, every week. Um, you're just wonderful. I really appreciate it. And Bodes can be contacted on 0424 416 969, 0424 416 969. Of course, Bodie's a psychotherapist. And our guest today, Anthony Loxley. Tony, thanks, mate. It's buddy. Great having you. Um, we'll have to get you back and you can tell us some more stories. I got plenty of them, mate. Believe me, you, what you heard is only just the, the. They were the worst, but there was more difficult situations than that. <laughs> Believe me, but I, I, look, it, it was an honour to be with you guys. Honestly, yeah, it's our pleasure, I, mate. I feel like I've been able to purge myself today yeah. for the first time for a long time. Yeah. Um, of a lot of things that were on my mind, and you know, feel good about it. That's wonderful. Hopefully, man. I'm helping others. You know. Good on you. Yes. Mate. Yeah. Look, I think you are, Tony. Absolutely. In my mind, you've helped uh, um, uh, all of us. And the listeners, um, because you could, you've t- taken the lid off the hidden aspect of all of our lives, and, it, and that's really necessary that that happens so that we can actually make changes. If we're talking about making changes, we need to have truth speakers, truth tellers, who actually say it as it is, and that you draw from a deep experience. Now, this um, story that you've told about the apparition, um, I worked for about 10 years with Māori in New Zealand, and um, some of the old people actually understood that reality of, of um, the other world um, that exists. So what we see is the world. There's, there's levels upon levels upon levels. And that's not um, woo-woo. Um, there's a deep reality to, to mm. that. And mm. for those of us who can glimpse that other world, um, you know, introduces a new depth to what it is to be human. Mm. And you are one of those initiates. You've been, initi- you've been initiated. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> you've been initiated. Yeah, well said, uh, mate. It was, yeah. a, it was a pleasure doing it. Yeah. 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 All yeah. right. Uh, big thanks, of course, to our sponsors, uh, to Craig Baby Beachy uh, down there at All Manufacturing Personnel Proprietary Limited, uh, specialising in staffing solutions in the, uh, the labour industry. Craig's number is 0416 700 870. 0416 700 870. 
Also want to say, say uh, thank you to the Darug and Gundagara people for having us on your land and uh, look forward to seeing you all next week on the Men's Mental Health Show. This is Brad Spillane signing out.